Welcome back in, folks, to the 37th episode of the Laser Tag Podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Brazil. With me on the other line, Michael Hatch. And today, folks, we have a very special guest with us today. Um, she's a former sideline reporter for ESPN, NBA TV, TNT, NFL Network, CBS Sports Network, NBC Sports Philadelphia. She sideline reported for the Philadelphia 76ers, sideline reporter for my Philadelphia Eagles, came out here to Las Vegas for the inaugural season of the 2020 Las Vegas Raiders as well. She currently is UNLV Professor of Journalism and Media Studies. With us today is Molly Sullivan, and we're going to get right to that interview right now. Catch you guys at the end. All right. So first and foremost, thank you for coming on. I like, guess it's a pleasure to have you on. I thank Damien for that as well. And he knows it. I'm gonna have to buy him lunch. Um, <laughs> but thank you for coming on. And we really just want to talk to you a little bit about how you got into the the sports journalism, the broadcasting. Um, how did you first start that? I know you went to UNC. Um, you were an athlete growing up. So how did you get into the Philly sports uh, market? Well, first of all, thanks for having me. I, I rushed home and it was against the wire here. So I, what a privilege to, uh, to be on your podcast. Uh, where it all began, gosh, I grew up in Las Vegas, uh, where I am currently with my daughter. And uh, growing up, I was a swimmer and uh, I wasn't smart enough, perhaps, to get to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Uh, but on my recruiting trip, guess where they took me? Talk about a savvy move. They took me to a basketball game. And I said, where do I sign? Uh, so clearly my priorities were right right in, in, <laughs> in line early and often. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I received a full ride to, to Carolina, uh, went to school. And um, the Dean Dome, which is the basketball arena, is connected to the pool. Um, and I was a distance swimmer, but uh, was never truly injured. But luck be a lady, every single game day for uh, the basketball team, I came up with this bizarre uh, shoulder injury. We shared the same athletic trainer and training table, training room. Uh, so I would meander over to the training room and get a little ultrasound on my shoulder and some ice packs. And, oh, man, I'm struggling. Uh, you know, thankfully, the basketball gods did not punish me in the water for, you know, essentially lying, uh, but they, they knew my heart was in the right spot, right, fellas? So anyhow, on those game days, I would, I would make it over to the broadcasters that were in town, albeit CBS, ESPN, nobody wanted anything to do with me. Uh, I wasn't going straight to the top with the announcers. I was going to the people that really made the magic happen, the producers, the directors, the, the photojournalists, uh, the production assistants, the audio engineers, everybody that is the true talent, you know, they speak of talent being the announcers. Uh, we are not the talent, okay? Uh, we, we, we are gladly uh, championing the vision of whatever network employs us. Um, and uh, we tell the story uh, with, with integrity. But anyhow, so I, I started there. And, um, you know, if you really want to dig deep, you look at those media guides from Carolina and I, I, I put out there that I either wanted to be a sports reporter or wait for it, an actress. actress. Cringeworthy. Cringeworthy, <laughs> I know, uh, because, you know, it, it, it took me a few years to find my way in terms of my delivery and understanding that it's not about you, right? Um, now, that you were there actress? to tell the story. What's that? What type of actress did you want to be? I didn't put much thought into it, uh, to be quite honest. It was it was a rather breathless. I enjoy being um, I, I enjoy telling stories, and I really enjoyed at the time at Carolina my theater class because it it allowed me to be a different character and 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 to kind of just get away from it all, right? 
Um, I enjoyed that that challenge of it. Uh, but I did find in, in my tail end of my career in Philadelphia, really found my voice and, and understood the responsibility that I had on the platform uh, that I was, I, that I was um, to much as given, much as, uh, much as expected, right? Um, and so I think in those final years in Philly, uh, I really took it up a notch in terms of taking it very seriously and whether or not the team was winning. Uh, we could still, as a, as a broadcast team, go undefeated. And what does that mean? That means uh, bringing you, the fans, the viewers, what you need to know. Screw the headlines, right? I mean, and especially in this day and age, Twitter, that's all you need in terms of news. Um, and it is certainly much more unbiased than any other you know, publication that you're going to roll out. Uh, that's probably perhaps another conversation. But I think you know, by the time the ball goes up, you've already seen everything on Twitter. So what can I, as the eyes and ears, you know, in these arenas, uh, you know, bring forth on the, on the TV broadcast. That was really my rallying cry. This is totally not the question that you even asked. And I've gone <laughs> off into a tangent and this is my head. Imagine being in there, fellas. It's not a fun place. Let me tell you. Uh, but anyhow, I, I, I always wanted to, to be a sports reporter. I'd grown up, NBA was my first love. Uh, sure. My father, uh, thanks to my father, it was a 1A, 1B situation with Michael and Bird. Uh, Michael, I, I know you'll you'll appreciate that, given your, your background, and you as well, Tom, given your reps in in that neck of the neck of the woods. So after graduation, I, I totally had no plan. I don't know. Perhaps I was in a little bubble and thought I was going to go pro in swimming. I, I didn't really take full advantage of all the. Re I was a dumb jock. All right, let's put it. No, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but I wasn't prepared for the real world. Um, and, and so I, I, you know, I graduated, came back to Las Vegas, a community which uh, I love and respect dearly. And uh, I started in PR and I, I did PR during the day. And at night I was a production assistant at a local news station. So I was working 18 hour days for, you guys know the drill. I mean, you do what you got to do, sweat equity, right? For um, a solid year. And then I started off as a producer for an entertainment show. And my reporter didn't show up for one of the shoots. And the suit said, all right, you already write everything. You know the content. Step in. Uh, so I stepped in and I ended up taking over the show. Uh, so I went uh, from that on to hosting a bunch of my own shows in Vegas, yada, yada, yada. A lot of bad content, uh, which my parents <laughs> were the only viewers. Uh, anyhow, so I, I shifted. At, at the time, guys, now think about this. This was 2006, 7, 8, right? We were not the sports city, pardon me, it wasn't even 2008 yet, it was 2006. We were not the sports city that we are today, not even close, you know, we, we were the bargaining chips. We were always uh, folks coming here searching for the bigger, better deal, right? We were, nobody ever was taking us seriously. And uh, it was always pipe dreams. So we had a bunch of entertainment. The phone was ringing. I was, you know, I was active, I was, uh, you know, whatever. I wasn't happy because that's not who I am, but I did cover entertainment news right out of college. Uh, then I had a heat check in about 2007 and uh, I shifted focus and I, I started working. I left entertainment um, and did sports for the Mountain West Sports Network, which was owned by Comcast at the time and uh, covered UNLV basketball and football. I was their only basketball sideline reporter because they didn't have a budget for it. Uh, and I was willing to do it for free, a little tidbit, fun fact. Um, and so I did that. And then when they closed their doors, guess what? They were owned by Comcast. I got the call from Philly, which at the time 
uh, it was Comcast Sportsnet Philadelphia, right? NBC had not merged. Uh, that's a separate conversation, right? Um, and so I got the call from Philly. I wasn't their first pick. It was a Kevin Durant situation. Uh, and, but I had a little, um, if you will, a, a initiation period in the playoffs, and I guess I passed. And then I, I ended up covering the Philadelphia 76ers for seven seasons, starting in the 2012 playoffs when Derek Rose goes down in game one, and my producer is in my ear, and I'm like, okay, this is my welcome to – the NBA moment. I am no longer covering Mountain West basketball. No, no shame to that. Uh, it, it, they have they have many glorious student athletes, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't the United Center with my idol Michael Jordan looking down on me. Anyway, now, Tom, you're shaking your head. What do you got to say? Chicago Bulls were my team growing up, <laughs> and Derrick Rose was my guy. That's what got me in the NBA. Him coming Ooh. coming out of college, Chicago Bulls. That year that he went down in Philadelphia, that was their year. That was their year, and it was the only year that they well, had. Well, it was in Chicago. It was, it was in Chicago, Chicago when he went down, yeah. Yep. They were the first-round seed. They are playing the eight-seed Sixers, yeah. and he goes down in a game that we were up by 15 late in the fourth quarter. Um, so that changed Chicago's outlook for the last decade. Um, but yeah, let's talk about the Sixers for a second. You worked with Q them. Tom Thibodeau, right? Q Tom, Tom Thibodeau, Thibodeau on line one. I know, I know. Thibodeau, it's a whole thing. That's with the Knicks, yeah. yeah he's, he's a mess. Um, but the well, Sixers were there. Joel Embiid drafted. Ben Simmons was drafted. Markel Fultz was drafted. They had you a tipped a lot. You I you did, you bolted from Derrick Rose going down. <laughs> uh, me chasing him in the tunnel, wondering where the heck am am I? Uh, sweating right, and, and and to to Joel Embiid being drafted. All right, I like where your hey, head's at, though. I like you, that you skipped over the road. It's what it's two years, maybe yeah. 2012 to 2014. He was drafted. Obviously, he didn't play for two years, but. But talk about talk about that draft. I feel like that's one of the biggest drafts in 76ers recent history where he didn't play for two years, but now he's kind of face of maybe Philadelphia sports right now. Gosh, uh, it's hard for me to jump from that to that because so much <laughs> happens uh, <laughs> that my my head is very much like a, a, a roadmap, right? Like I, I try to connect the dots. Uh, I don't even re like what I don't even remember that draft to be quite honest. I do know uh, covering Joel Embiid and the pain that I saw uh, with him not playing specifically. It was uh, in Boston, um, ironically. And I remember we, we, we did a shoot around. They did a shoot around. I say we because I was the only reporter that got to cover a lot of these shoot arounds because I just traveled with the team. So I was there and, and I'm a gym rat. Quite frankly, I enjoy shoot arounds. Anyhow, enough shots. about me. You were thinking no, shots. I, I was busy taking copious notes. Uh, but Joel Embiid specifically, I can see us, uh, the, the, the gym, uh, it wasn't Lifetime Fitness, but uh, Equinox, Equinox. They had a gym in the hotel, Four Seasons, whatever, that they were playing. And so we did the shoot around there, and Brett Brown has family and friends in town. And Joel put, pulled me aside. He still wasn't playing. Uh, he likes his red grapes. He likes red grapes. Yes. And uh, it was it was early uh, and he, he pulled me aside and he said, listen, he said, and this was at the time when there the headline was and again, not a big fan of headlines, but let's dumb it down for a moment here. And the headline was that he was reaching. What was the weight that they were they were they were all over him. I don't know what the number was. Let's just say three thousand pounds. OK, three thousand pounds. Uh, and he said, do you really think I weigh that? Uh, I wore white last night. And he said it quite honestly. Like it was such a genuine, just human being moment where he, he knew I could 
understand and relate to that, right? Because I'm perhaps a, a female and I get it. You wear white. You don't wear white if you can't handle it. Uh, Joelle handled it. And so he said, do you really think I weigh that? I wouldn't have worn white last night. And he said it so honestly and innocently, eating his red grapes, uh, that was a very difficult time. You know, perhaps he did order a couple of room service, you know, one too many. Okay, uh, he's human. And, and that, was a, that was a tough period for me as well as a reporter because, you know, I've got a job to do, right? And so what's going on behind the scenes was far more intriguing than anything that was going on on the floor. And, you know, whether or not I had, you know, I, I, I got a talk from Sam Hinkie one time, uh, you know, in, in, in my huddle observation, it was a little bit uh, too real. Uh, typically, I know how to read a room and, and know what I can and cannot report. Uh, because at the end of the day, I still kind of worked for the team in a, in a roundabout way because I was traveling with them. So I didn't want to divulge any uh, too much information, which I think I struck a balance with that. But that's tough, fellas. When you're a competitor like me uh, that not necessarily wants to break news, but uh, feels a strong responsibility to you, uh, that, that you deserve to know the truth. And I think that that's really where my uh, obsession with the truth um, really magnified and has since uh, become um, quite grand is that, uh, you know, the viewers deserve the truth and I wasn't always able to report the truth. Um, and so that was that crazy moral compass, like, uh, you know, perhaps um, moment in, in my career of what am I doing? right? Um, it's one thing to uh, report X's and O's and uh, interview people. I loved people. I, I loved whether it was a post-game walk-off. Didn't get many of those in a, in a small stretch. Um, that's job stability for a sideline reporter, by the way. Uh, but I, I, I always enjoyed my interviews, you know? And so Joel Embiid specifically, I saw what was going on behind the scenes from, from draft day to the day that he was able to run out of that tunnel mm -hmm. and be with his boys and run with them. And, and, and how everybody just had a bounce in their steps and their moxie was sky high because you look over, you see uh, number 21, are, 21, are you kidding me? Like, are you kidding me? Like, you're, you're gonna have a bounce to your step. And I just remember that first game and how everything changed. And that was beautiful to see every, you know, the hard work, the sweat, the tears um, come to fruition. And then to see everything evolve. Uh, my final game with the, them was 2018 in the playoffs. <clears throat> you know, NBC Sports Philadelphia only covers the first round and then the national guys take over. Um, and so it, it's just, it's, it's quite um, rewarding to look back on that and, and see the, the grand scheme. He's not done yet. It's beautiful to see him as a father now and how his perspective has changed. I love his interviews. Um, he's much more mature now, uh, as is Ben Simmons. When I was covering these guys, they were quite young, okay? Uh, not during the headlights, Ben perhaps a little bit, um, but Joel always was very savvy, but some of the things that he would say to me in the interviews, um, you know, perhaps wasn't always on the high road. Um, but I think I handled it at least as gracefully as I could. But it's neat to see their evolution in that respect and how their answers are much more thoughtful. Mm -hmm. um, and they understand that it is bigger than basketball. J.J. Redick was always, man, he was on the money with his interviews. And I remember being in London with him um, 
we went downstairs to, to grab a glass of wine, my friend and I, and he was there with um, a couple of the front office people. And he was pondering uh, some beautiful questions. And that's what I love. Like who wants small talk, right? Small talk should be banned. Am I right? Are you guys behind me in this? Yes. Like, we want to know what's up. No, we want to know the meaning of life and what it means. Like, right. Like analyze every JJ was that guy. He just analyzed everything A to Z. And I just remember that night in London, he was, he was with some of the younger guys asking these uh, beautiful questions and they all just kind of looked at him like goo goo gaga, right? Like, what are you saying, old man? Um, and it's neat to see him now on ESPN with his chops. Anyhow, I'm totally not answering your questions. I'm so sorry. I'm the worst guest gonna, ever. I was going to say that now that he's on ESPN, he honestly makes some of these other people on ESPN look like they're just not A little bit more honest. A little bit more honest. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, Mike Breen is, you know, salt of the earth. But I remember I caught a game with uh, him and Richard Jefferson. Was it Mike Breen also? I think the three of them team up. Jefferson, it's funny because I remember being in Cleveland and him coming uh, to the locker room and he was he was out that game and he was trying to get his podcast going with Allie Clifton, who is a sideline reporter in Cleveland. But he was super nervous at that time. It's, it's neat to see these guys evolve, right? Like at the end of the day, we're all human. And uh, when you want something bad enough, it's just it's cool to see uh, if you have the patience to be quite bad, if you will, uh, it, it, it certainly tends to pay off. I think one of my questions was um, you were talking about how it's you got to find your footsteps. You got to find your mark in the industry. And um, you're talking about how you want to do justice for the fans by telling them the truth. But then you're also working for the team where you don't want to be a homer either. So like you're walking that fine line, like here I've had the privilege of growing up watching Tommy Heinsohn for years. Love Tommy Heinsohn, great reporter, but Celtics green team. He would have never said anything bad about the team. But it works. Right. But it works, right? Because it you works. respect him. Yeah, and he earned it, right? right? And so not everybody can do that. Right. And, so and how do you find that, that balance, yeah. though, to say so-and-so is just not having a good night, but also at the same frame be like... But knowing that he went out until 4 a.m. Yeah. because I was going to the gym to exactly. go on the treadmill like, and saw him come in the team hotel. Yeah, how do you strike that balance? Uh, you don't. There is no balance to strike. And when I look back at my time, that perhaps is the most frustrating um, thing for me that I've really had to work through. Honestly, guys, I've lo- lost a lot of sleep over this um, because my, my, um, my, my, what's most important to me is the truth uh, in all ways, shapes, and forms. And we can go off to a tangent to that. Um, but when I look back at my career, that's the thing that I struggle with the most because I zipped it on a lot, on a lot. And I did so because I loved my job. I loved my job. I loved basketball. And I loved being able to, to, to you know, I, I think about the, the, the little girl growing up with my dad and watching the NBA and to be, you know, walking down the tunnels. And, and, and Doug Collins was always so, uh, Brett Brown as well, but Doug Collins specifically, I can recall being in Chicago and he knew everybody in back of house. I'm talking the ushers and, and the EBS crew, the porters, right? Um, security. Uh, everybody that again makes the magic happen and I remember him turning to me and being like these are you know this is the heartbeat of the NBA not the guys on the floor these guys and so there's a respect level 
of the back of house and not that the viewers are back of house, but understanding who your audience is and understanding that it's bigger than basketball and, and, and remaining humble um, of which there are, there are ugly egos, not only in the NBA, but uh, the NBA, uh, NBA, I would say certainly is the, the, the front runner uh, in, the, in the ego business. The NFL, it's a different kind of ego. It's much more warrior um, entailed. You know, they've, they've got a veil in front of the NBA. It's a little bit more dangerous um, because they don't have that, you know, helmet to, to protect them, if you will. And that's where things get danger, dangerous. Um, and so it took me, when I, when I walked away um, from my last game there in Philadelphia, in South Philadelphia, not knowing it was my last game, it took me a solid um, two seasons to, to watch basketball again uh, because I loved my job. And so you ask me, you know, why I wasn't breaking news. It's because I wanted to continue to do my job and I knew my role. Um, but now looking back, it's, it's cringeworthy, the things that I kept silent about. I think it's, and, and now I am teaching journalism uh, here at, at UNLV. And so the one thing, and Damien, uh, Tom, uh, your buddy Damien uh, is in one of my classes. And one of the things that I'm really trying to, um, you know, gung ho here is that uh, the, the truth matters. And, you know, um, your ethics, your moral compass, understanding who you are and what you're fighting for. Uh, it's not about basketball. It's not about striking a balance. Um, it's, it's about just reporting the truth and you have a responsibility, right? Like you invite us into your, your living rooms with your families. And I, I envision when I give these injury reports, when I gave those injury reports, that you've got Joel Embiid's grandma, you know, listening and, and all the sacrifices that went into this. It, it, it means something. It's not all about money, okay? Um, and once you understand that, then your job gets a little bit more challenging because you got to fight through the evil to get to the good, right? Um, so anyhow, I, I don't know that I ever struck a balance, Michael, um, but I sure loved my job. And I, I, in terms of performance metrics, um, I think I did quite well in terms of, of, of that. But um, from a personal standpoint, I, I sure have, could have done better. a loaded answer i know it was the last time you guys asked me on your podcast no we appreciate having you uh let's move to, to your nfl reporting i know you're with the eagles for two seasons you're with the raiders um their inaugural season which that's pretty cool in it in, in and of itself yeah. for their first season uh first football team in, in vegas that's pretty cool um but i'm an eagles fan i'll st i'll start there you were you started with them the season after they won the super bowl correct mm -hmm. Mm -hmm the 18, 19, 19, 20 season. These guys have got to be riding high, right? They're coming off mm -hmm. a Super Bowl win. Tell me about Lying your experience high. with the guys in general. Like, what was their persona? What was their mindset? Were they just on top of the world? Or was it was a business? Was it another year? What were they thinking? Yeah, so quickly, I, I will say that one of my things, and Damien will tell you this, I, I often say that anybody can cover a winning team. It's when the team is losing that you really got to dig into it, right? And, and understand, yeah, and look into these guys' eyes and understand what's making them tick, yep. right? Like when they're not winning, that's, that's really when you earn your paycheck, so to speak. Um, you know, I did cover that 10-win season in Philadelphia. I was pregnant that season, by the way. Um, I always like to throw that in as a caveat. 
Um, so my, my kids saw a lot of bad basketball and perhaps heard too much. But anyhow, that's another conversation. Brett Brown on line one. Um, you know, with football, I did transition transition across the street. My contract wasn't renewed with the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, I transitioned across the street. They swooped me up and I learned a new sport. And so, yes, I'm coming in. They're flying high. Uh, you know, they've got statues being uh, built all around South Philadelphia and all, all nooks and crannies. And it's, it's beautiful. Um, <coughs> however, things did not go as planned, did they? That season, tell us. No. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm coming in from across the street. And uh, this was a different situation where I was directly employed by the Eagles organization. So my office per se was at um, the NovaCare complex. And so rather than, I'm not a cubicle person. I just, I, 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 I like to be in the trenches and with the people, yes, but I'm not, I, I, I can't be in a box, right? I'm a little bit more creative than that, I think. So I would set up my shop, my office in the cafeteria. That's where uh, the players, the coaches and and such, uh, you know, I would see them with their guards down and over chicken wings and, you know, cheesesteaks and whatever, a cup of coffee. Uh, That's when you get the good stuff. And it it wasn't like a, 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 you know, like a, I wasn't trying to be sneaky. Uh, I was just trying to be real. And, and that's really where I got to know these, these guys. And, And perhaps they saw that I was in it for the right reasons too, right? Like I wasn't hiding in a cubicle behind or in my, you know, oftentimes sports anchors will be in a cushy office in their ivory tower and have highlights come in and, you know, get six figures. And is that really the meaning of life? I'd rather be broke and uh, be in the cafeteria and tell one hell of a story. And perhaps that's what I was doing. Um, And so, yeah, you know, I saw these guys go from the dichotomy, right, of, you know, world champions to pitchforks coming out in South Philly, how soon they forget, you know, Howie Roseman, uh, there was a clip this season where there were some, I hope you weren't holding this sign, both of you, uh, but there, okay, good. I, yeah, but there was a sign and uh, a clip went, you know, viral, if, if that's even a lingo word anymore, but Howie went over and it said, we forgive you, Howie, or something. And Howie said, what, for your first world championship, you know, like, what do you forgive me for? <laughs> Excuse me. I, I, I respect Howie tremendously. So good, good on him for doing that. But yeah, I covered him that first season. I didn't know any better. Listen, I've seen a lot of bad basketball, a lot of good basketball. I was just there to tell the story. And what I enjoyed most out of that assignment was uh, we had uh, a studio in, in the, the, the practice facility. And so I got to sit down with these guys um, in a different way than I did with the 76ers. Uh, with the Sixers, my big interviews were walk-offs and they had to win um, when everybody's smiling, right? Um, you know, and then also I would go in the locker room if they lost and we would do scrums and whatever. You're not going to get anything golden in those scrums. Never did, really. Um, but these interviews with the Eagles, we got a lot of good stuff. We would sit down and we would just talk life, right? We'd sprinkle in a little football uh, to appease the, the, the hardcore fans uh, but we talk life and I look back on those interviews and um, it's, it's really, it's special. Um, that's what it's all about. Yes. The record that season was not great, nor was it the following season. They got the job done. It was fine. Uh, but it wasn't uh, up to par. And, and Doug Peterson certainly was fun to get to know him. I, um, and Louisiana background, I went on to cover for the NFL network. They did some sideline 
for college football and, and his connection to Louisiana. Anyhow, there's, it, it's, it's a fun world when you step aside from the win-loss column and the box score and you really dig into who these people are because that's what matters. And, the, you know, it's, it's up to us, I guess, perhaps, as I never called myself a journalist, even though I'm, you know, teaching journalism now. I'm very honest about that. But I think it's up to us as sports broadcasters um, to, to tell the truth and to tell the story. Uh, we have a responsibility for that. You guys are inviting us into your living rooms. And so I continue to um, try to do that as best as I could with the Eagles, certainly. Do you have one of those interviews that sticks out to you? Like the, your most memorable? Oh, gosh. I enjoyed every single one. And to kind of do a Merrill Reese here, I mean, you're only as good as your, your last game, not to, to be a cliche, but that's the truth. And my last interview was with Merrill Reese, the voice of the Eagles. And, um, you know, that, that, was, that was pretty special. At the time, nobody knew that I was moving back to my hometown of Las Vegas. I, I'm not good with goodbyes. It's somewhat of a Frank Sinatra type mindset, perhaps. Um, uh, Harry Reid, if you're a local Las Vegan, but you guys aren't, and I got to know my audience. Um, so anyhow, I'm not good with goodbyes, but that last interview with um, the voice of the Eagles was, was quite special. But in terms of players, I, I just, I enjoyed it all. Malcolm Jenkins was similar to a JJ Redick for me. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> very thoughtful, uh, always bigger than football. Fletcher Cox was amazing. I enjoyed every interview I did, truly. Um, every, every single interview. And I've got the tape to prove it. So my kid, when, when, when she grows up, she can watch mom um, talk a mile a minute. Yeah, the one, the one name, the player that I, I was thinking you would say is Brandon Graham. <coughs> Brandon, yeah. one of those just guys who you think is more family-oriented than anything and just down to earth. Uh, they all were. They all were in a much different way than what I observed in the NBA. Again, it's a much more football. It's a warrior mentality. And, and they're not, they don't, there's a lot of wrong. There's a lot of, you know, bad things going on in the NFL as well. Uh, but it was a different kind of ego that I had to learn how to navigate through. Uh, but yeah, Brandon Grahams, I mean, he's, he's, he's a big teddy bear, right? I mean, he's, he's harmless until he steps foot on that field and then you watch out. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they all were their family men. I mean, they, and I mean that whether or not they had children of their own, uh, they, they look back at, those that they consider family, right? That, that got them to this moment. Uh, certainly much more appreciative, I believe, than those in the NBA that I covered, you know, um, in my opinion, perhaps because their shelf life's a little bit uh, shorter uh, than the NBA, at least with the guys that I covered. So I don't know. I just, um, things, and my, my outlook, I'm a completely different person than I was in those nine seasons that I covered Philadelphia sports. And I think, Perhaps if I were to go back and, and cover them now, uh, I would be quite annoying because um, my outlook in terms of um, the importance of truth and, and remaining humble and understanding that it's bigger than anything on the field uh, is quite paramount. So, um, but yeah, Brandon Graham's a great dude. All right, one more question on the Eagles from me and in, in the spirit of honesty, you <laughs> this question, um, but I'm going to have to ask it. What was the relationship between Carson Wentz and Nick Foles? Uh, listen, I, I think it was healthy. To use a one-word answer, it was a healthy relationship. Um, Carson had his own demons he needed to fight through. I don't know if he still is. 
quite honestly, I haven't paid close enough attention to answer that, nor am I covering the team to answer that accurately. But what I did observe with Carson is he had a lot of demons that he was fighting through in Philadelphia. And who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? You think about uh, the, and forget pressure, um, you know, these guys, you know, again, I go back to what I said earlier, to, to much is given, much is required. And they understand that Carson above all. Um, however, uh, you could see him fighting demons, whether he was at a podium, whether he was at his locker room, whether he was out on the field, whether he was in the cafeteria, uh, grabbing a couple French fries, you know, like he was fighting demons. And, um, you know, I, I really was ecstatic for him to, um, to leave Philadelphia and start a new chapter. That was the only choice. I wish it would have started earlier for him, for his mind. Um, but yeah, I, the, the, nothing harmful between the two, um, you know, it, but uh, there were a lot of demons flying around, you know, at least from what I observed. That's a good answer. I, I like to hear that answer too. When you said healthy, that, that was breath fresh air to me. Um, yeah. I was, a, I was a big Carson Wentz guy. I was also a big Nick Foles guy. If you ask me who had <coughs> on the Super Bowl, I'll still say Carson Wentz. But uh, um, listen, I think everybody would have handled that differently. You, you take, I'm not a math whiz, uh, but you know, I, I did a fun fact for my kid the other day in her lunchbox and the, the amount of cards, if you shuffle a deck of cards, I'm told that uh, there are more possibilities shuffling this deck of cards than there are atoms in earth. Think about that. I know That's it's insane. wild. I hope that is accurate. Uh, my search for the truth. I put that down in our fun facts for lunch. Let's see it be anyhow. Uh, my, my point is fellas, I know you're pondering that. that just blew my my mind. point is, is that yeah, you, you take, you take a bunch of different duos around the national football league and everybody would have handled that differently. Carson specifically and his, his background, his DNA, um, his IQ and everything, it was just the perfect storm. And I think that's how the demons, uh, you know, some people would have, um, you know, been, been flourished in that, in that environment. Carson clearly did not. And really who would? Yeah, tough situation to flourish in. Um, so you moved back to Vegas, worked with the Raiders their first season out here. Talk to us about that. Vegas hasn't had a football team out here in forever. They, they've never had one. And then they get this big, glamorous stadium. They get the, the team. They got a good quarterback. John Gruden's the head coach of all people. Um, Antonio <coughs> supposed to be here. That's, that's a big assignment. Talk to us about the Raiders. That was a big assignment. Were you in town that season, Tom? I was, yeah. Yeah, it, uh, it was wild. So my daughter and I, we moved back about, gosh, three weeks before the world shut down in 2020. Talk about good timing. We lived in Center City, Philadelphia, where everything was going crazy at that time. So timing's a beautiful thing. Anyhow, we made it back to Philly. <clears throat> I covered the Raiders for the CBS affiliate in Las Vegas, the, uh, the same station I interned at 18 years prior. Um, and that first season for the Raiders, I'm coming in from Philadelphia. Okay, so let me set the stage for you. Las Vegas is still a very much a small town. And so I'm coming in with all these grand ideas of what works well in Philadelphia. Uh, Philadelphia sports fans are the best in the world. I stand by that. I always will. In fact, I found myself defending Philadelphia sports fans. Week one of the NFL season, uh, the Raiders first season in Las Vegas. And think about that for a second. That is wild because we waited 
uh, an entire lifetime for this moment. And here I am defending Philadelphia sports fans, the people on the radio that I was talking to doing a radio hit, wanted to talk about that rather than Las Vegas finally uh, becoming a professional sports town. And uh, I had to, you know, my, anyhow, I, I, am, I, I like to think I'm loyal and I stay true to, stay true to that. But anyhow, uh, it, it was a long time coming and Las Vegas uh, deserved that uh, moment. And I, I hope all will remember that feeling because there was a lot of hard work uh, that went into it. And I think about the people behind the scenes that made it happen. Uh, Legion Stadium is beautiful, perhaps too beautiful. Stunning. I like the grittiness a little bit of South Philly. Um, you know, they've got this Win Field Club. Win Las Vegas sponsors a Win Field Club on the 50-yard line, which is essentially a nightclub with, with beautiful women and, uh, and, and, and good food and drinks and a DJ. Uh, I don't know how much they know football, uh, but they, gosh, they have a good time. Let me tell you, uh, there are no frowns, win or lose. Everybody wins in the Win Field Club. Um, again, I don't know how I feel about that yet, um, but uh, it works. It works in Las Vegas. So I covered that first season where <coughs> specifically the CBS affiliate, they didn't know how to cover a professional uh, sports team. I mean, yes, they had the Golden Knights. National Football League's a little bit different. And so you, you never know who is watching. And that's kind of uh, the, the mantra that I, that I put into place early with these guys um, because uh, the standard, the, and forget the production quality, whether you have the bells and whistles, the graphics, right? But the standard of the storytelling was not up to par where I thought National Football League uh, deserved. Um, so that was a challenging part uh, coming from Philadelphia to Las Vegas, a market four to market maybe 40, whatever. Um, and that's just, that's on me. That's, you know, everybody did a fine job, uh, but it was challenging because it's, it's a little bit of a, of a mind trick uh, with that. Um, cause, you, Cause you see the good life, you know what works, right? Um, and it matters so much, the Eagles and the Sixers, and it's generational, um, and it's, it's bigger than any sport. So anyhow, it was fun covering that first season, uh, but then, but then I, I jumped out of, out of sports, so I don't know how fun it was. Um, I'm just kidding, but, but yes, it was, it was a good season. Challenging, but good. Now, I'm trying to remember dates and whatnot here. <laughs> Were you around the craziness of Antonio Brown? No, no, no. <clears throat> I mean, it had just, um, yes and no. I mean, I was in Philly, <coughs> excuse me. I was in Philly when it really got ampl amplified. I remember being at a NFL network. I was working for NFL network that weekend and we had breaking news come in, but that was the beginning of it. And yes, when the, when he, you know, started to mm -hmm. come to Las Vegas, it was the tail end of it. Gotcha. Uh, that, yeah. But I mean, I, I don't get, I don't bat an eyelash at, Nothing is crazy to me. I, I am confident in this statement. You ready? I have seen it all. I have heard it all. Uh, whether or not I handle it uh, well is, you know, uh, there's room for doubt, but I, nothing surprises me, Tom, truly. No, I love that answer. I love that. That's, that's perfect. That's the headline right there. Not that you like it. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> um, I don't know how much time you have left. Mike, you have any finishing questions and we'll shoot to the draft. No, we can go straight to the draft, I think. Um, I'm All right, well, well, first, thank you again, honestly, for coming on. Um, I'll preface Can we talk about how dark it is, uh, Michael? You, yeah, you Massachusetts are, time. But I'm no, I like the darkness. Enough. It's it's very, uh, it makes your head sink and think more. 
Yeah, it's kind of like the dark feel, man. It's mysterious. Oh, look at that beautiful Christmas tree. Yeah, What's your favorite Curse ornament? Of, Curse of living in Massachusetts. You, you lose time sooner. The sun goes down quick. Uh, it's been gray all day. What's your uh, favorite ornament? You're not getting past that question. Um, It's actually this one here. It was my great-grandfather's. Yeah, okay. So it's this one. Oh, oh well you can see it but it's a it's like a snow globe and it's um you know the snow globe in the santa claus where in the first yeah. one where he shakes it and yeah. dad's always supposed to be able to come back um it kind of reminds me of that it's a little village with santa flying over it um, oh beautiful yeah so i, love I got it. this last year for my grandmother and it was my great-grandfather so neat yeah magical very no, cool yeah, I like that stuff. I, I I love learning, you know? That's what matters. I hope your Christmas Anyhow. tree's up in May when I come, so I can see it. In May? Yeah, yeah. no, I'm sorry. Oh, boy. Uh, no, that's not <laughs> so. <laughs> so we'll get into the draft here. So basically what it is, do you want to do historical Philly athletes? Is that easier? Uh, I don't like the easy route. Um, but no, I I, I think I uh, athletes, while well, I covered them, probably would be, I'd okay. give them a little more street cred. Okay. Um, and we'll do, we'll do all the sports. You don't have to take Phillies or, or the Flyers or whoever you want, but if, if it comes about, well, it'll come about. I mean, I might take a couple of Phillies players. I'm a baseball guy. Um, I feel like I should ask you quite questions rather than tell who, what players, because I don't want to give any, maybe perhaps I'll have a couple of post-draft questions. How about that? Yeah, that's fine. hundred percent. That's right. fine. Um, we're going to give you the first round selection here. We're going to, we're going to draft three players each. So the 2010 to 2020 decade, this is a Philadelphia sports athlete draft. You can go best, you can go favorite, whatever you please. Okay. Are we writing down our answers? Are we got a whiteboard here? What's down. going on? I need I'll some, I need some intel. I'll write them down here. You just got to come up with them. And okay. the draft goes like this. And uh, are we, okay. Are we, t can we go across all sports or are we just, is this real? All sports. Whatever you want all sports, any athlete, favorite athlete, least favorite. Do I have athlete? to tell you the theme that I'm going on? No, no, I just, no, no. We can try and shoot the theme after. Drinking games, I would be no fun. I would ask more <laughs> questions, and the drinks would be down the drain, and we would be all sitting there like, "What is going on?" What are we doing? Um, <clears throat> okay, are you ready? Let's go. <clears throat> you ready? Oh, there's no like drum roll. I feel like oh, there's. I'll, I'll edit in a drum roll or something like that. Okay, okay. Uh, Joel Embiid. Okay. Um, Drew Holiday. Whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. <laughs> no, we're going to alternate picks. I should have told you that. Alternate. Oh. Oh. No one's taking Drew Holiday, though, so you, you're off the hook there. Um, <laughs> great player, though. But Joel Embiid, okay. I'll, let Mike, I'll let Mike go second, and that comes to me back to you then, all right? I sense? guess that's how a draft works, isn't it? it how soon I forget. How soon Unless I forget. You, would you like to trade for Mike's first pick? pick? No. no. I'm okay. confident in mine. <laughs> All right, Mike, what you got? Um, I'm going to bring up a name that was mentioned in J.J. Reddick. Wow. J.J. Reddick. All right, I have to stick to my roots. I'm, a, I'm an Eagles fan. I'm going to go with um, Class Act, Zach Ertz. Zach Ertz. Agreed. Agreed. Oh, that's me. I, I like the first round. First round, that's a good first round. I don't think, even think we went off the best, most talented players, so we're good. We're good. No. All right, Molly, you're up. 
Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday. I'm an open book. Now, how many years? How many years was he there when you? <coughs> I know he was there through what? 20... Uh, two. Well, one and a half. One and a half. Okay. 2014, yeah. I want to say, yeah, around there. Uh, yeah, 2013, 2014, but I covered him in 2012 playoffs. Um, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Talk about a class act. Yeah. Um, so I joked with Tommy that I was going to take the 2017 third overall pick um, of the Nets because that would led to Jason Tatum. Um, <laughs> but um, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with Boban. I know there's plenty of other players, but Boban. just he's a player on the bench that every team needs, from what I can see. I did love you, it. Did you interact with Boban? I didn't. I didn't. No, okay. Not not in Philadelphia, certainly. Um, not in Philly, no. That man is just a staple for what the NBA commercial should be. He, he should be in all of them. Um, I will go another guy you talked about, Malcolm Jenkins. Yes. I mean, true team leader, team captain. Yes. When he left Philly, my heart broke. Like that was he was he was the guy. So I'm going Malcolm Jenkins. You, you know what? Real recognize real here. I'm liking your picks. That's neat. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yeah. Now you're going to throw a wrench here on this. No, I am. I got some weird ones. I got some weird ones. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you're up. Third pick. <coughs> All right. Dario Sarge. Wow. wow. No, we yeah. brought him up jokingly earlier. Wow. Yeah, I was super protective of the kid. Yeah. Interesting. Pure as sunlight. Wow, that shocked me. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Dario Sarge. I think that's what we were looking for right there. That name. Yeah. I feel like he got a bad rap in Philly too. Uh, it, it took him some time to, to get his feet under him. But look at him now. Look at him yeah. now. Dario Sarge. Yeah. All right, Mike. Yeah. I, I don't know how you follow Dario up. <laughs> he probably had a worse name to him than Evan Turner. Like, Philly Turner than Evan Turner. I enjoyed covering Evan Turner too. It's another pure guy. I did. I know. I'm a hard sell, clearly. <laughs> All right. This one, this is because of my Chicago fandom. Um, Wait, Evan go. really was, E.T. really was your pick? Yeah, I, I love him. Turning, <laughs> listening to him off. Nice. He was an assistant coach for the Celtics, I think, two years ago, and listening to him, like. He was? He just seems like such a fun guy, yeah. He was one of their bench coaches, right? Yeah, he was. Not anymore, but he was. I think that's the period where I was still like, why am I watching? Uh, interesting. I'll have to go back and watch the tape. Neat. Hmm. I'm going to go with the guy that came after you left, and that's Jimmy Butler. Huh. I don't know if you interacted like with that. him at all. Um, I didn't cover him, obviously, in the Sixers, yeah. but I did cover him around the league. Uh, my kind of player in terms of uh, no nonsense, right? Board. Like, yeah, yeah. That's what you want. Yeah. Right? Don't you don't want these fair weather fans in Miami coming in at the half, mm -hmm. uh, you know, hooping it up in the nightclub. No, I want, I want hard hitters, uh, you, you, you know, blue collared, um, somewhat like Philadelphia sports fans, right? Like they, they work hard for their money. They expect their team to reflect that type of fight. Yeah. And that's the thing is, I don't think when he came to Philadelphia that they were ready for that. Like he was there for that's half a Interesting. Season. I don't think the team was ready for that. Interesting. Uh, I love they, that take. They didn't sign him after the way they got rid of him, and he was there for half a season. Right. That's an interesting right. take on that, though. 
Last pick for you. Who you got? Oh gosh, I thought we were only going three. I didn't have a. Oh, uh, oh, oh, I got, I got. I mean, listen. If I do Dario now, now listen. Uh, the real ones are going to know this. TJ McConnell. The real ones are going to know I can't pick Dario without TJ. Uh, they were my picks, though. They're a one-two punch. This is bringing me back to a very um, complicated time, but gosh, it was fun. TJ and Dario. That's a fun duo. That's yeah. yeah. You don't think of them when you think of Philadelphia 76ers basketball, but who were- doesn't? I would like to have a conversation with them. They need to, and I would like to buy a cup of coffee and talk this one over. I agree with you. Let me talk to them, Tom. Get them online. Let me me go find them for now. Please. Uh, Mike, you're up. Final pick. Um, TJ was going to be my pick. That's the issue. Whoa. Yeah. Um, Yeah, Markel Fultz. No, I think I'm going to go with one that you and I talked about. Just very short stint, Andre Iguodala. He was another um, mindful, carried Wall Street Journal uh, everywhere. Um, A a, a neat mind, very neat mind. I think you see that with, he went to the Warriors, obviously, won championships with them, but he's not the same player that like the rest of the Warriors cast was. He was just a different intellectual player. Yeah, Uh, intellectual too. Yeah, well said. Uh, my final pick, I'll, I'll shoot to baseball. I'm going to go with the guy who actually uh, passed away recently, and that's Roy Halladay, uh, the pitcher. Yeah. That'll be my pick. Absolute Cy Young. I actually yes. have a baseball from him um, on his Cy Young year, which is pretty cool. So, Roy Halladay. What a treasure. What a treasure that yeah. is. Good I'm on you. Keeping that one for sure. Not looking to get rid of that anytime soon. Um, Amali. Thank you so much, honestly, for coming on. I, I, I didn't expect anything to come of this when I gave Damien my card. I was like, hey, see if your professor wants to come on. This was awesome. Awesome. Well, I, I said you can either blame or thank Damien. Perhaps <laughs> now is the time to blame him, fellas. But Damien is great, man. He would, he, uh, he, he's just a, in terms of work ethic, I don't play, play nice with lazy folks. And he's not one. Impl- yeah, your colleague Damien is, is, uh, is a good one. He is. He is. I'm trying to keep him around as long as I can out in the aviator. Well, that's leadership. That is leadership, my man. So good on you. Well, thank you again. Um, I know, Mike, appreciate you coming on as well, Molly. Truly. I'm sorry for being late. Won't happen. Make a fast break next time. You know, 11 what was it, 11-14? I'm not going to fault you for 14 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, we got to stop rushing everywhere. You want to get real philosophical as we go as we go off into the abyss here. Yeah, people got to stop rushing. Where are we rushing to, really? The same old world as you're rushing into. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. I'm with you. Let's talk basketball more next time. All right. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you again. <laughs> Appreciate it. Thank you guys.